for Kenny and, and his safety. And I pray, Lord, now that you would anoint his lips. Lord, you would open our hearts and your spirit would come and you would work and you would move in our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Okay, I don't, I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm any of those things that Dwayne just said. I don't know if I'm contagious. I don't know if I'm a good speaker. Uh, I just know I'm here for the second time. Uh, I was here two years ago uh, when this church met um, at another location. And, uh, and so this is my second time, and, and it was quite an adventure to get here. Actually, um, I thought I was going to ride up with some people. Some things changed. Uh, then, of course, this winter storm comes in, so I decided uh, I would fly. And so I, got an, uh, uh, I booked a, a flight, and they canceled it 30 minutes after I got it. And so then I booked the second flight, which would allow me to get here on time, and then they canceled it. And so I decided to jump in the car and... Actually, there were more cars in the ditch on the way up here than there were on the highway. And so um, it was a great time, though. This morning, I was helping some people. I stayed in Beckley uh, last night. I got that far <clears throat> and pulled over. And so this morning, uh, I don't know how these people were all surprised, but there were a lot of people that were trying to leave uh, the Hampton Inn this morning that didn't have uh, any ice scrapers for their windows. And so uh, there were a bunch of college kids from Charleston, South Carolina, and they were doing their windows with their credit cards. And so so, and with no gloves. And so I was laughing. And so I went over and helped him. And then this, this other man was there and he didn't have anything. And, uh, he said, uh, could I borrow your scraper? And I said, well, I'll just do it for you. And I started doing it in, uh, his car. And he said, well, I'm really with a buddy of mine. And so he pulled his car up under. So I started doing his car and, and I'd already, um, uh, sort of set the, uh, GPS for the trip. And I had uh, turned on my uh, radar detector as well. We can talk about that later. And so uh, I, uh, I turned on the radar detector. And so the, the older man that I was doing his window, he looked at me and, he, and it started beeping from the, um, maybe from the alarm system at the Hampton. And he looked at it and he said, <laughs> it was the funniest line. He looked at me and he went, that's pretty damn optimistic, don't you think? <laughs> Because we'd been running about 20 miles an hour <laughs> for five hours. And so he thought it was kind of funny that I had a radar detector. And I went, yeah, you're, you're probably right. And so, uh, uh, but I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I've sort of got it on now so that as, I, as I'm coming on, up on police officers that are helping people out of the ditch, I'll uh, be able to, you know, sort of time slowing down before I get to them. And uh, not because I'm speeding, but because I don't want to slide into them. And so um, it was sort of a great trip to get up here and, um, I, I do want to talk to you about some difficult things. This sheet that, that you have on your chair, I want you just to set that in your Bible or set it aside. We're going to look at that during the second and third time with each other. I want to talk about, um, I just want to talk about fear for a few minutes. I spend most of my time with men. Uh, of course, most of the men that I spend time with are in racing, uh, of motorcycles or, or cars or boats. And so you would think that fear is a part of our lives, certainly. But uh, or their lives, and I enjoyed uh, looking at this subject. But most of us are sort of afraid to admit that we have fears. You know, I know uh, I know that T-shirt that was so popular for a while, that no fear concept, which is kind of bunk, really. Um, but uh, but it, it's a good marketing campaign. But for us, let's think about fear for a minute. My son gave me my neatest gift for Christmas was a gift from my son, and. Uh, he gave me this uh, super monkey, okay? Uh, can you see it? It's, gr- it's a great monkey. He's got a cape, 
little bandana, you know, little uh, eye thing. But what I like about this monkey, okay, that I enjoy so much is that he is sort of like my life. I feel pretty super at first, okay? I'm feeling pretty good about the day, and then things get worse, okay? And as they get worse and worse, (laughs) he just starts screaming as he goes through the air. And so he just, uh, and that's kind of the way we are. How many of you think you start your day pretty well, and then uh, things make you start screaming? How many think that happens? Let's be honest, okay? Uh, I don't know what it might be. The scariest phrase for me at my house is for my wife to say to me, honey, we need to talk. That's the scariest thing. Right away, I start going, I, I just, I start screaming right away. Okay. And so, but um, I don't know what scares you. Um, we might get a chance to visit with it uh, for a few moments this evening. Uh, but I'm just saying that if God says to us in the scriptures, in 2 Timothy 1, 7, he says, I have not given you a spirit of timidity, but I've given you a spirit of power and love and discipline. If that is true, why is it that I spend so much of my time making decisions basically in some form of fear? You know, afraid that I may not succeed or, um, or afraid that I might succeed and then have to do it again. Uh, fear of, of flying, fear of driving, fear of rejection. Uh, you know, you read the paper now and there's layoffs and freezes and, and uh, you know, cutbacks and and even, even the word of, of today, terrorism, at the root of that, of that plague that is in, in our society today is the, is the whole concept of terror. You know, and so it's, it's all around us. And, and as we look at it, we come to God, and God says to us as men, I've not given you a spirit of timidity. It shouldn't be something that consumes us, controls us, is such a big part of our lives. Now, I don't know, when you grew up as men, and, and again, let's try, to, let's try to set aside a little bit that we're, uh, that we're in a church building and, and you know, we're going to talk about the things of God and so we have to be a certain you know, way and, and things like that. Let's set that aside for a minute and just, just be uh, men. You know, when you were growing up, your dads gave y'all messages. Like my father would say things like, son... Don't develop a champagne taste on a beer budget. I heard that all the time. And then my dad would say things like, uh, prior preparation prevents poor performance. Heard it over and over from my father. I'd hear from my father all the time, don't ever get involved in something that you can't pay your way. Over and over and over. I also heard from my father over and over. I mean, this is offensive, but... He just called me a little, a little S-H-I-T. I heard that a lot. Okay, we all hear things from our fathers. If I were to ask you some of the messages that you got from your fathers as you were growing up, what, what would they be like? And they could be really good ones. Maybe your father looked at you and just said, you are a tremendous creation of God. That wasn't my dad's perspective. 
Okay, but how about, or, or maybe as a dad now, if I were to ask your children what is something they hear you say to them all the time, what would it be? Give me some ideas. Okay, don't make the same mistakes that I did. You made the same ones. Okay. Certainly, certainly. He meant it when he said it, certainly. And yet we repeat it sometimes. That's right. Uh, that's one of the joys of the, of the gospel is that, that we believe that the gospel says we don't have to repeat the same things of the past. You know, that God works in us in spite of us. That's one of the joys of the gospel. But anybody else? I know we don't. I mean, do y'all all know each other? I mean, y'all all from the same area generally? You kind of know each other? So you're not, you're afraid to say in front of anybody. <laughs> okay, well, you know, fear is fear. But anyway, just uh, sort of, well, you know, make one up. A two-car. <laughs> that, that's pretty specific. You felt a lot of love there, didn't you? What? You felt a lot of love from yeah, that statement. And uh, the other one was all day. <laughs> uh, you know, your father sounds like fun. All right, anybody else? I, I'll come back to it in a minute, um, or as we progress during the evening. There's a, there are 125 imperatives of Jesus in the New Testament. Meaning, he, he says, do this, don't do this. Watch, watch out for this, do this, do that. 125 different imperatives. Now, the reason that's important is because if Jesus were saying things to his followers and to his disciples, it would be much like our father saying such stuff. He was a very significant person in their lives. So you'd start asking yourself, what was he saying? What, how did, did he repeat himself? Ironically, the number two area of his repetition is only said eight times. He makes one general comment eight times, and it's the second highest one in the group of 125. The number one thing that he says is mentioned 21 times. This one, you would assume would be number one, is love God. I would assume that's what Jesus would have said all the time. Love God. You ought to love God. You know, you really ought to love God and love your neighbor. Eight times. 21 times, he makes the statement, do not fear. Why? Because fear is the opposite of faith. Do not fear. Be the man that I created you to be. It's a tremendous challenge. Very important to the Father. So it's important for us to stop sometimes and set ourselves um, sort of a against the world's flow and say, is there something that I fear? Is there something that turns me in from a super monkey to a screaming monkey? And I think there is. And one of the things, and we we could talk about, again, lots of different passages... But if we were to look at Matthew 8, you don't have to turn there, but jot it down and, or try to remember. Matthew 8 is a passage that you all know about how Jesus 
is with his disciples, and he says, let's go across the other side. They obediently get in the boat. They climb in the boat with him. He crawls up into the front of the boat, falls asleep, and a storm comes up, a sudden storm. And when that storm comes up, he's still asleep in the front of the boat. And they wake him up, and he says to them, why are you afraid? And then he turns to the storm. And really, you can't teach your children this, but in the Greek, he really says to the storm, shut up. Your Bible probably says hush. But he just says to the storm, shut up. Storm stops. That's an interesting passage, okay? And I think it has got at the root of it some of the things that we're afraid of. It's a Greek word, seismos, which is what we get the word seismograph from that you measure earthquakes. It's only used three times in the New Testament, only three times. When Jesus dies, when Jesus is resurrected, and here, when a sudden storm comes up. Now, that's a whole other weekend that if you ever let me come back. But the truth is, this is already a unique place for me because I don't get invited back places very often. So, Dwayne's courageous. But why is that word only used three times? But here's the thing. I think inside of us as men, there's something that makes us fear that that sudden earthquake that we didn't see coming. That sudden that, that, that phone call that maybe um, we have cancer or somebody that we love has cancer. That, that, that moment when, when all of your frailties are exposed in some way, we're scared. we're scared of it. Or I can't speak for you, but I can say for myself. A couple of years ago, I was cutting up with some of the guys, and they said uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to drive one of the cars on the track. We were at a super speedway, and I wanted to drive one of the cars and kept pushing, pushing. So one of the drivers said, well, you can ride with me. And I said, all right. And I said, well, you know, let's go get one of the, uh, you know, cars, the uh, test car stuff. He said, no, just ride in my car. I said, what? I said, there's like no seat on that side. He said, well, you said you wanted to ride, so I crawled in the car with him. At 200 miles an hour, I thought my eyelashes could rub that wall. And I'm in there with no dang seat. Helmet strapped in to the roll bar. Now, how smart is that? And at that point, all of my frailties were revealed to this guy. I cried like a baby. Stop this car. It was a good idea. No fun. Okay, but for us, that's one. Now, if you were to look at another passage, Matthew 10 or Luke 12, there's an interesting passage. It's a passage that we all know, but I'm just, guys, we don't have a lot of time with each other. Um, I I want to, I I don't know you um, individually. I think I understand men being one myself and spending almost all of my time just with men in racing. I think I understand men. Okay, and so I don't know you specifically, and maybe I should just look at one thing while we're together, but I'm going to try to cover 10, 12 things, hoping that one of them makes sense to you. We could go deeper in every one of these, but if it's something that interests you, I beg you to go deeper, maybe yourself. 
There's a passage in Matthew 10 and Luke 12 that's quite interesting. There's a passage where Jesus is talking to us about not being afraid. And he uses the illustration about sparrows and how he counts every hair on your head. But here's what he says. In Matthew 10, he says, you can buy two sparrows for one penny. Or the equivalent of the smallest, it's not really called a penny in that day, but it's the smallest currency, piece of currency they have. You could buy two sparrows. Then, in Luke 12, it's a great passage, it cracks me up. You can buy five sparrows for two pennies. So here's what he's saying. The fifth sparrow, heck, sparrows aren't worth anything much anyway. We'll just throw that one in for nothing. So here is our greatest fear. Down deep inside, every one of us is afraid we're just going to be a fifth sparrow. Our life really won't matter. We'll go through the routine. But down deep, deep inside, where we don't like to admit it, God is telling us to be men of faith instead of men of fear because your greatest fear is you just might not matter. You're just a fifth sparrow. Does that make sense? Now, how many of you think that you've ever had either one of those thoughts? The fifth sparrow or the just the sudden earthquake that you didn't see coming? The storm that just sort of overwhelmed you? How many of you think you've had the earthquake experience? Or you fear it coming? Okay. How many of you think you've had some thoughts of being a fifth sparrow? Raise your hand. Okay. That's pretty courageous already that you're willing to, to admit that. It's, it's a hard thing to do. You know, and so for us, as we look at it, I want us to go just for a few minutes here and talk about how to deal with this fear. You know, how, how are we really going to add a chance... Um, uh, I know he's playing today and everybody's talking about his stock has gone down in the NFL and all that. But Tim Tebow is a, is a, is a remarkable man in, in many respects. Uh, whether you're tired of people talking about him or you think he won't make it in the NFL or, or you think he's this and that, you know, he's, he's still a, a rare, fairly remarkable guy and he's courageous. And so I had a chance to be in the locker room when they played for the national championship against Oklahoma a couple of years ago. And so in the locker room as we were sitting there, I, w- I got to be there when they looked at everybody and, s- and just made that famous statement, okay, it's time to man up. They'd had a bad first half or a mediocre first half. So during the locker room, during the halftime, the leader of the defense stood up and he looked at everybody and he apologized, apologized to the offense. I'll never forget it. He turned to the offense in the locker room and he said, we've let you down. And I'm sorry. And the second half will be different. Tim Tebow stood up in front of his team and he said, you guys did your job. We didn't get the points. But we'll man, offense will man up in the second half. And so they all looked around the room at each other and they started walking up to each other and just saying, hey, Percy, man up. Brandon, man up. It was pretty intense. And I I get a desire sometimes in my own life to not only hear God say that to me, not rejecting me, not devaluing me, 
but just looking at me and say, hey, be the man that I created you to be. Man up. Embrace Second Timothy. Quit allowing timidity to be so prevalent. And, and then you go, well, how do I do that? I want to just in you know, sort of wrap this session up with a, with a concept here. We, we live in a society that unfortunately um, sort of has a boutique mentality about our own identity. We, we sort of think that we can form our identity. We think we can create it. Uh, that's one of the reasons that uh, you get all those uh, enhancement advertisements on your computer. You know, you don't like your size, be a bigger man. You know, I'm so tired of those things. I thought I was okay until I started getting all those. You know, and so, you know, that's the reason that women are willing to do all that they do medically, surgically. And that's one of the reasons that we think there's a pill for everything in our society. That's one of the reasons that guys are willing to pay three times what the jeans are worth just to have a certain name on their ass when they walk around. It's unbelievable. You know it and I know it. It's one of the reasons that NASCAR works, unfortunately. Because if you're a junior fan, you got some sort of sense of identity. Although he better, by golly, win a race. And so for us, you know, we, we sit here and if we're not careful, we have this sort of, we have this concept that we're so, supposed to somehow create our identity. Create our worth. Accomplish something. Do something in order to matter. You know it, I know it. I was invited to a conference this past weekend by a friend of mine. I wasn't on the panel, but it was a conference about sexual identity and, and uh, homosexuality and, and just all the things that are going on in our society. So I sat there, and it was a very inspiring um, conversation, and I listened. And, and so, but at the, towards the end, the, one of the guys on the panel that knew me, there was a question, and he turned, and he said, Kenny Crossway's here, and he's a friend of mine. He teaches the Bible, and um, I'd like for him to answer that question. <laughs> I went, thanks. <laughs> it, was, it was from a, 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 a question that happened to be from a, a homosexual priest that was really angry about everything that had been said and he'd ask a very intense question so I, I I tried to answer it well then he started interacting with me and I'm going hey I'm not on the panel okay and so I wanted to shoot the monkey across but anyway but you know and so we were just interacting back and forth and it went fairly well and I pursued talking to him later um, and, and we had a wonderful conversation but uh, a guy that was on the panel walked over to me and he said and he mentioned the guy that had asked me to answer the question. He said, uh, he must respect you a great deal. It was an interesting thing. I said, well, we've been friends for a long time. He said, he said and you're a Bible teacher? And I said, well, um, I get to teach the Bible. It's a, it's a, it's a joy. And, and uh, he said, that was a very insightful, uh, your, your comments on Second Corinthians. I said, well, thank you. And then he said it. He said, and where did you get your doctorate degree? And I said, man, I don't have a doctorate degree. And the conversation was over. So even in Christian circles, we have a tendency to be thinking that we have to create our identity and our value. Because all of a sudden, because I didn't have a doctorate degree, and this guy is very bright and has several degrees, and, and I'd love to sit under him. And, uh, and uh, you know, I 
you know, so I called my son and I said, find me a doctorate degree online. <laughs> no, but anyway, but so, but for us, okay, here's the thing that we need to get in our head. I just, just a couple words. Amazing. God says you are amazing. Not because you go out and fabricate your own identity, but because it's a gift. I formed you, he says in Psalm 139. I created you, and there's no one like you. You are amazing. Isaiah 43 says you are precious, meaning that there's nothing that can be compared to you. It's a gift. You can't enhance it by more and more tattoos or more body piercing or more enhancement or more degrees or more, you know, success in business or failure in business. It is an amazing thing that God said, when I formed you, I made you exactly the way I wanted you to be. It's amazing. Then he says, I will adopt you. That's no small thing. When the scriptures say to us over and over again in Ephesians 1, Galatians 4, that God adopts us with all of the privileges that come. Rick Hendrick just, it was a, we've, you know, if you've been watching the news, several of the guys in racing have made their planes available to fly back and forth to Haiti. Uh, Rick uh, is is still in the middle of a, of a legal battle over a plane that killed 10 people several years ago. I, had to do, I did four funerals in one day. It was a terrible thing. Rick's son, niece, and brother were killed. Tony Stewart's helicopter pilot. So Rick is a little sensitive about airplanes and, and all, that that, all that goes on with that. He's made two of his planes available. They've been flying back and forth every day. This past week, his pilot called and he said, Rick, we've got a problem here. He said, I think the paperwork is in order and we'll be underneath our weight limit, but we'll be way over on the number of people that get in the, can get in the airplane. He said, but 25 orphans just were delivered in a truck. Children, babies, what do I do? And Rick said, um, you fly him to Florida? I'll deal with the paperwork when you get there. I'll deal with whatever happens at customs. Pilot's a friend of mine. He's the one of guys. He said they got on the plane. They were scared to death. 30 minutes into the flight, as children will do, they began to sort of relax. And then they started crawling all over everybody in the plane, knowing that they were coming to America because they'd all been in some form of adoption, but it had all been sort of messed up because of the, all the stuff that's going on over there. And they started crawling all over people in the plane and hugging them and kissing them. When these children get to America and are adopted into a family, their lives will never be the same. And this is not a political statement. I've got all kinds of feelings about Haiti, and I'm sure you do too. But it's about the reality of the privileges that come with adoption. That he makes us children of God. I think we forget that. Francis Connor's got a, a book called Crazy Love, and he said, you know, some of us need to just stop reading the Bible. Some of you just need to quit maybe even going to church because you've so long forgotten who the God is of the Scriptures that you don't even know what you're doing anymore. 
He said, you ought to spend some time just walking around and finding something that you're amazed about. And then ask yourself where that came from. Reintroduce yourself to God instead of just taking Him for granted. Well, that's the thing about adoption. And, and guys, I would rather, you know, we, maybe we'll cut up some when we're to get the rest of the evening. And, and, uh, and if you think I'm starting too seriously, I, I apologize. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, get in your face or anything like that. Um, but you've given up an entire evening for this. <laughs> you know, it ought to be something that, that changes your life. Okay, and so we come back, you know, it's, it's just, uh, I think I was telling somebody that a couple, a couple of years ago, one of the drivers sent somebody to come get me. I'll never forget it. He sent me to uh, come get me, and, and uh, he, they said, and they named the driver. They said, he wants you at his hauler, which is the truck that carries the cars. And he wants you at your hauler, his hauler right now. And I said, man, I'm busy. And this guy looked at me and said, he said, it's serious. And I said, all right, all right. So I went to his hauler, and he, this driver stepped out. And when he stepped out, he said, I am about to give you your toughest assignment. And I started laughing. I went, man, you are my toughest assignment. He said, oh, hell no. I'm really going to give you a tough assignment. And I said, okay. He said, when you go in this hauler, when you step in there, I want you to talk to this guy about God just like you do me. And I said, all right. He said, you won't do it. I said, yes, I will. Now, at this point, I'm developing a spirit spirit of timidity. Because if whoever I'm going in to see is tougher than this guy, I'm not prepared. I'm out of my league. But as an adopted child that has all of the riches of God at my disposal. Don't just say that in church. Don't just sing it in a song. Think about it. All of the privileges of God. So I sort of, you know, took a deep breath and prayed a prayer and stepped inside. And he was right. This was the toughest assignment I'd ever had. When I walked in the door, I almost threw up. I was like, whoa. And he said, so you're the effing pastor. That's what he said. That's what the guy, I said, well, I don't usually describe myself that way, but yeah, I guess, I guess in, in a way, but anyway, but, and I said, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't use that word with my wife, but in that context, yes. And so, and, and so he said, oh, come on, don't give me, you know, and he just started and he was on the attack for 30 minutes and it was just one thing after another. Then this driver stopped and he said, man, this is too good. Let me go get some more people. And so I said, all right. So he went to get some people. But I'm telling you, at that point, you better have amazing lockdown if you're going to man up. You better have adopted lockdown if we're really going to embrace God's purposes for our lives. The good news is I, I, you know, I fail all the time. I could have thrown up and just left, okay? You know, uh, you know, and God would have still said, I'm amazing. I'm still adopted, and I am still an ambassador. To be an ambassador, you know, all those things that we like, okay? When the scripture says in Joshua 3, set yourself apart today. Set yourself apart, and God will do wonders among you. God is saying that to Joshua after they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. 
in in an area that you and I could walk in less than two weeks. If you were to go over there, Tony's going to Israel, I think, next week or something. And so, uh, and I've been praying for him. I don't know when he leaves, but I've been praying for him. Okay, and so, but if you were to go, I, I went to the wilderness of Zen several years ago over there and, and you walk and you spend time where they wandered for 40 years. And I'm telling you, I'm going, how, what happened here? So they wandered for 40 years and then, I, y'all have studied Joshua. I love this passage. Before they go into their first battle, I love this. He says, hey, y'all, for 40 years you've forgotten who God is. I want you to set yourself apart. I want you to go down to the river, bathe yourself, and then I want you to circumcise every male that hadn't been circumcised. <laughs> I'm going, hey, let's do that after we win a couple of fights. I mean, come on, really, as a man, you might be going. And then it says, I love this passage because it says, every man that was, was circumcised with a stone rock knife. And I'm going, come on. I mean, just, I mean, I don't get too graphic. But, you know, go out there and pick up a rock and then look at your penis. I mean, come on. You know, just go, no way is this going to happen. I mean, you know, come on, you know, and yet he says, um, that's why I don't get invited back. I'm sorry. <laughs> this isn't being taped, is it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I love this passage. I, I, was, uh, I was a preemie, real preemie, before we had neonatal units and stuff, and they thought I was going to die, and I... My dad said I stayed in an incubator for almost two weeks. And he said I was so ugly and so raisin-like and so drawn up that, that uh, uh, when he would stand outside the window and people would say, which kid is yours, he would point to somebody else. Okay. <laughs> so that probably was true. Okay, but one of the things they couldn't do is I, I didn't get circumcised because they were just hoping I would live. So as things would happen, I didn't get circumcised until I was in the fifth grade. Okay. And so I want to tell you, uh, it's an alarming thing. I mean, you don't want to tell your friends. I mean, how do you explain what's going on? You know, you don't want to talk about those sort of things and probably shouldn't ever. I remember I went back to school and I had stitches and stuff. And so you'd be walking and your stitches would get caught on your underwear and you'd just stop wherever you were. It's like, hey, hey. And, you know, you just sort of bounce, you know, you know, and try to get things untangled, okay? And then, you know, and everybody, come on, Kenny, I go, I'll be there in a minute. Okay, here's the deal, okay? I don't know why God does everything the way he does, but I know he knows. And here's what he says. You are amazing. We're going to take a break in a few minutes. I want you to think about these words. It's a little overwhelming, and y'all could study it at some other time. But the thing about Jesus, he was asleep on purpose in the boat when the storm came. And he stayed asleep on purpose. That's pretty amazing. I once heard this, this wonderful pastor in L.A. talk about it. He said, typhoon time for you is nap time for our Savior. That was a great line. When you think storms are about to swamp you, if you can see the calmness of the Savior, you can be okay. Because He says you're amazing. 
that you're adopted if you've accepted Christ as your Savior. I mean, in the South, everybody thinks they're adopted. I understand that. But biblically, if you come to a point where you understand that Christ died on the cross for your sins, you've embraced him, might not understand everything about him, but you've embraced him, you can be adopted into the family. In a sense, like I have to have credentials for the racetrack, Jesus is our credentials for adoption. And then we're ambassadors. Now, if this sort of excites you, then we're going to come back during the second session and get more specific about it. If it doesn't excite you, stay anyway, because I don't want you to hurt my feelings. But you don't have to pay attention. Just stay. Stay.